This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. The text secures. All asking, saying, Golden Stallion, man of tomorrow, please. What is causing all this Bitcoin Alliance stuff? And I said, well, hell, guys, I don't know about any Bitcoin Alliance. I know about a Bitcoin empire. Woo-hoo. Don't worry. We'll get into the Bitcoin Alliance a little bit into this show. Oh, yes. The baddest boy on the blockchain is ready to go one more time. Ooh, I haven't used that moniker in a long, long time. But let me tell you, before we get into that, we want to get into our random access. So much to cover this episode. We're going to be talking, oh, hell. The, actually, you know, this whole episode is all listener-requested topics. We're going to be talking about Augur. Woohoo! We're going to be talking about, oh, well, I'll save the surprise. Going to be a hell of an episode. But before I get into it, I got to tell you, that I've got a giveaway here. I am going to be the baddest boy on the blockchain. I am going to be at Bitcoin Investor Conference in Las Vegas, October 29th to the 30th. I'll be in Las Vegas. And like I always say, when I go to Vegas, baby, I make it like it's my backyard. Now, if you want to go, I've got tickets to give away. Hell, I've got five of them. Five, you, you can go on me. Okay, I, I'm not paying your plane ticket, but I will cover your, I, will, I got your ticket to this event. All right, all you've got to do is go on Twitter and you got to tweet uh, at Bitcoin underscore up. Okay, that's the Bitcoin investors, uh, you, that's their Twitter account. You tweet at that, you tweet it at Sovereign Tech, of course, S-O-V-R-Y-N, and you say, yeah, baby, I want to go. 
Well, something along those lines. But tell me you want to go and just make sure you get both of us involved in that. I'll get you marked down. First five people that do that action, you're in on it. I already gave away some tickets because I, I did something. If you're not following me on Twitter, you're missing out on this. I already gave away some tickets. These are, what, like $150 tickets. Come on, how could you not want to be a part of this? And actually, I mean, that's a great deal to even get in. If you miss out on the tickets, it's still, uh, I mean, I know some Bitcoin events that I've attended, they, they cost in the hundreds uh, to get tickets for it. So this is a great deal. It's going to be a great event. A ton of incredible speakers going to be there. The real deals in Bitcoin are going to be there. People that have some real, real principle behind them. And we're going to be getting into the, the principles of Bitcoin, no doubt about it, in this episode. So I want you to catch that. And of course, then, I mean, I've got, I've got a week you won't believe this week. Because then I've got to do right after leaving Las Vegas. And please feel free to say hi to me if you do attend. Uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I will will be there. We're kind of inseparable, so you, you can't miss us. But anyway, uh, at, right after that, we're going to Keenvention. And of course, I've got a great tech panel lined up. Uh, in fact, I have, I added on a special guest, the guy, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, lbry.io, library.io. Uh, the guy that's one of the, the lead, lead uh, developers behind that is going to be on the tech panel. So we've got some, I mean, we have Stephanie Murphy on there, uh, Rob Mathias, uh, Steve Zamanik, uh, and Dennis Goddard of, of Oracle. I mean, we've got, it's just, it's a killer lineup. You're going to want to see this. So whatever one you can make, whether you're East Coast, West Coast, don't worry, Liberty's got you covered. You just come and see it. So a hell of a week. It's going to be an, an amazing few days at the end of this week. Can't wait for it. But uh, all right, enough of that. Let's get into the random access. Uh, it, this will be a regular show, but like I said, I got to cover a whole ton of stuff here. <laughs> so I mean, we've got we got tons to get into. So let's do the random access. Let's make it happen. And I want to start off. And this got sent to me. I didn't even no news was covering this. I just I, you know someone uh, bit messaged me. One of the the great sovereign tech listeners. You guys keep on track of things. You know even the the minutia, the stuff that that's not even fully revealed out there yet and all. And I love it. And what a great guy sent this in to me. And he said, Stallion, I remember you saying this was coming. That this is going to be the real deal. And here it is. Amazon register. What does that mean? Does that mean you need to, uh, you know, go up to Amazon and say, papers, please, papers, papers? No, you know, I'll give Amazon a little bit of credit. You can, like, you can ship your Amazon products to pretty much anywhere. They don't care who the hell you are. Like, like you can use a completely bullshit name, and as long as the, you know, UPS or uh, uh, USPS will deliver, you know, that, that mail to the box, uh, they don't, Amazon doesn't give a shit and they don't ask for any kind of documentation or anything like that. Yes. When you get into things that require tax forms and all that, of course, it's a different story, but if you're just a regular customer, they don't care who you are, uh, you know, to some degree, it's just gotta, you know, it has to have some degree of, uh, of validity, I think outside of Amazon, I'll give them that little touch of credit, but I'm not going to give them any more. And we're going to be covering Amazon more in the, in the coming weeks. Cause they've done some ugly, some even more ugly shit recently. But anyway, come on, Amazon register. What is Amazon register? This is that point of sale, that POS, not piece of shit, even though Amazon is that point of sale system that I talked about. Boy, it was like episode 70. It was even before then. Episode 70 is just when I put together my whole theory on how Amazon is long before anybody else in the tech press is saying it, how they are the the real competition for any large company, be it Alphabet, be it Apple, be it Microsoft, whatever. They are the competition. They are the, you know, the dark horse that's riding up. 
And Amazon Register is that point of sale system. It, it works a lot like what I saw. See, now what I talked about largely, even though I said it could work for anything, but I talked about largely that they would take their old Kindle Fire tablets and they would turn them into cash registers or, you know, not just cash registers, but registers for whatever. And eventually, uh, you know, they would allow for their Amazon coin because, you know, everybody was saying, oh, once Amazon takes Bitcoin. And I, and I told you, I told you over a year ago, I said, they're never going to do that unless it comes out of lab one, two, three or whatever that is, one, two, six. Uh, unless it comes out of that, Amazon's not touching it. They don't have to. And so here's Amazon register. It works a lot like Square. Uh, or, or yeah, those companies where they have the little dongle that plugs in and, and then you can swipe the card, you know, it's just a card swiper, but, but with, uh, with, with Amazon register, you can actually put it on just about any device. There's a, there's a very large compatibility device. It's not just something that will be done with, uh, you know, with Kindle fires and this is huge. I mean, this, this is something where, where Amazon could effectively, I mean, understand this. This is what I've been talking about, how I said they were going to take over the world because they already own online retail. They really do. Okay. I'll admit that. But how do you get into the, you know, the brick and mortar? How do you get into the everyday retail space? This is how is that you give everybody the tools from which to collect payment, but have that work within Amazon's ecosystem. This is exactly what I talked about almost two years ago now, I think. You can go, it's before episode 70, but I know at least episode 70, I talked about it there. And we're in episode 148. Woo! You know what that means? Episode 150's coming, baby. But anyway, uh, I, I thought that was interesting that it finally hit. I was starting to wonder. I was like, where the hell is this? It's like, I know they're doing this. This is coming. Where, where the fuck, you know, what, what, what are they doing? And, and here it is. Uh, so Amazon Register, they're, they're out there. They're going to take over brick and mortar now. You know, and like I said, all it takes is for the software to suddenly start accepting Amazon coin for them to have created their own digital currency that will be used by all kinds of people. Uh, because I think this Amazon register uses a very flat rate as far as, and there's like no chargebacks. I mean, it's a, for, for what it is, it's a sweet deal for the conventional, you know, merchant. It's a sweet deal. And I mean, and you're already dealing, you know, in Amazon and Amazon has all the Amazon payments and all that stuff. So anyway, let's move on. Next story, Facebook. Uh, th there was the big report that they said that they will alert you, the user of Facebook, if your account has been compromised by state-sponsored actors or attackers. Now, when you read this very broad, uh, you know, PR, uh, you know, press release of theirs, there's no guarantee. Some stories were, and, and, and of course, this just shows how a lot of the tech media is, of course, shills for these companies and, you know, just engage in native advertising for them. Uh, <laughs> and, and really, a lot of these stories were just native advertising for Facebook. Uh, the title would say that Facebook will let you know if the NSA has hacked your account. And no, nowhere does it say that they'll tell you that the NSA did it. There is definitely warnings of being in other of being in countries and, you know, there being an issue where where some kind of, you know, malicious actor will want to do something against your account. But when has Facebook ever called the NSA a malicious actor? When has really other than that time that, oh, Zuckerberg called the president, which I think was a PR stunt, uh, even though I thought it was pretty, you know, kind of cool at the time. Uh, but really, it is just a PR stunt. You know, what, other than Facebook calling the president saying, hey, what the hell's going on with this whole NSA thing? When have they ever come out and condemned, publicly condemned the surveillance state or our surveillance society or as a new term that I've heard recently, surveillance capitalism? 
which is money being made off of the surveillance state or an economy built around that. Uh, they never have. So I don't I don't buy it. I don't give a shit. I mean, they can say this all they want, but until I really I want to hear these guys come out and say kind of like Apple has, even though I don't necessarily trust Apple either, but say, look, you know, no, we, we don't agree with what you're doing. I don't want them to say you can't have the information. I want them to say we don't agree with what you're doing. So and all they're really going to do is just warn you. I mean, maybe it'll lock up the account, but I mean, at that point, it's all too late anyway. Uh, so w- whatever. It, that, that was just nonsense news. But speaking of nonsense news, uh, last week I had the, just the amazing Ellen Ball on. Uh, she she was wonderful. Got some got some great response from that. Other people had questions. You know, uh, it was a just I, I loved it. And we talked about that whole alien megastructure around that that star that's not really even in the Milky Way. And we talked about how everybody was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we can't explain this. It's not the accretion disk. Uh, it must be aliens. And it was amazing to hear scientists just, in, you know, totally dumb Occam's razor and just instantly go to that. Uh, well, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, this past week, since we did the, the episode last week, suddenly almost every news source has come out and done a story that says, no, we did not find an alien megastructure or saying, no, they did not. They didn't say we, they said they, you know, to kind of attack scientists or whatever. And I wanted to just bring this up because look, folks, this is the modern definition of a news cycle. You come out with a sensationalist headline one week, and then within the next few days, you debunk it. Either way, you get a ton of coverage because you got them first with a sensationalist headline and then you get them with the debunking and you get people to come back uh, and reread. This is all by design when really the only story that should come out should be the debunking. There's no point. You know, why, why even bother going into, you know, talking about bullshit when it is just that it's bullshit when you know it's bullshit. But this is how all these, you know, online news sources work now uh, that, you know, th- this is like it, it's a plan. It, it's, it's a marketing trick is to first, you know, release something crazy, then release the debunking. That's that's the modern definition of a news cycle now. Uh, it's crazy. So hopefully everybody is, well, not hopefully. If you don't accept it, you don't have to accept it. But, <laughs> but I'm kind of hoping people aren't walking around saying, oh, there's aliens out there, you know, as if, as if with, with a certainty. I already knew there was plenty long before that story ever came out, but... Anyway, I feel a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit uh, vindicated in my bit of debunking that Ellen and I actually, uh, you know, engaged in uh, on the episode. But admittedly, it, it's fun to think about. I, you know, I, I won't, I won't, certainly won't deny that. All right, next story, uh, Alphabet. Let's get into a little bit of Alphabet and Google uh, news. Now, this is interesting. They have, they, they have, they've come out with something called AMP. And it's not like Free Talk Live's advertise, marketing, and promote. <laughs> AMP uh, is this idea of web pages, mobile web pages, uh, getting rid of JavaScript, getting rid of a lot of the really high end stuff that people have built on top of HTML, uh, you know, over the past decade that makes, you know, the modern web look so goddamn pretty. And they've dumped this. And here's here's the caveat. So how exactly is this going to work? I mean, you know, to some degree, I kind of like the, you know, at first blush, I like the idea. It's like, oh, OK, we're going to get rid of, uh, you know, JavaScript and all this stuff, because, you know, there's actually there's a saying in the tech world these days called, uh, you know, TLDR too long, didn't read. Now it's called JSDR. Too much JavaScript didn't read. <laughs> and, and I agree. I, I mean, it's it's just it's mind boggling. You know, you run you run something like no script when you're using Firefox and you I mean, you try to get around 
without JavaScript on. And like every page almost comes up blank these days. It's madness. So at first blush, I kind of, I'll admit it. I kind of like this idea, but then you find out that what this is all about, this whole amp thing, because it's about making web pages use less data and to load faster on mobile. That's what the, that's the whole goal here that alphabet slash Google is trying for. And how they're pulling this off though, is to, you know, can keep a modern look to the website. They are Google personally on their servers is going to, they're going to cache the, you know, the JavaScript and all that stuff. And so right there's the issue. It's like, God damn it. It's like, okay, I like the idea. I like the initiative that you're going for, but then you just want, what you really want is for every website to have to go through Google's cache. You know, that's what Google wants. And then I go, oh, you know, there, there it is. Forget it. It's like, they just want every website to go through Google. <laughs> I mean, that that's, that's the bottom. Searching them's not enough. Now you want half their backend to be going through you. Uh, it, it, yeah. So the amp in principle, I, I kind of like the idea because yes, yeah, stop all that JavaScript. What's the fucking point? Like, how much do you really need on there? Uh, but then, you know, you find out that really it's all just, it's sort of an, it, my opinion, a data grab on Alphabet's part. So fuck it. Um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, this was an interesting story. This was <laughs> this was kind of funny uh, <laughs> because, in fact, if you if you you're going to see the cover art for this episode <laughs> uh, because somebody sent me a, quite a few people sent in this story uh, about a company called Battelle that came out with a, a it looks like a gun. It's not a gun. Not in the traditional sense. It doesn't fire projectiles of any kind, nor is it lethal. Uh, it's called the drone defender, all one word. And this this uh, rifle of sorts, non-lethal rifle, uh, can, well, you know, effectively shoot jamming microwaves, as I understand it, up to 400 meters. And will, you know, just totally confuse the drone. It'll either cause it to land or it will cause it to go back where it came from, depending on, you know, what the software is with the drone. Uh, the funny thing is, is that the story used a picture of a guy holding up the drone defender and the guy was wearing all black. He had a big watch on because I, I wear a, a cast. I wear, a you know, an old Casio watch. And and he's bald and he has sunglasses on and everybody's like, it's like, did we see Agent Sovereign in the field? Finally, <laughs> it, was, it was gold. I used it for my profile pic forever. I even shared the shot. It's like, look, Agent Sovereign out, out in the wild in action you know, <laughs> with his non-lethal weaponry. And uh, <laughs> uh, so but regardless, you know, we talked about drones uh, a few episodes ago, how they were, you know, unleashing them in North Dakota uh, and, and armed drones at that. And uh, and I said, look, technologies need to start getting developed that can defend you against these things. And here it is. This is real. Now, the interesting thing is, is that some people brought up the point when this story started making the rounds in the tech news. Some people brought up the point that the Communications Act of 1934 of the colonies, I'm sorry, the United States says that actually even promoting this thing is an illegal act, promoting the drone defender. Well, Sovereign Tech just engaged in an illegal act. I am recommending the drone defender. I am fully supportive of it. So come and get me. Okay, I just broke the Communications Act of 1934. I broke a law that existed pretty much before television. Way to go. <laughs> How is that still on the books? Do we communicate anything like we used to? You know, any anything like we did in 1934. Not really. 
even our radios are fucking handheld today. Anyway, <laughs> let's. We, we, I still got a few more stories to go, and, and then we've got a, a doozy of a main story, so I want to get into that. Um, all right, 23 and Me. Uh, this is an interesting thing. Now, 23 and Me, we talked about the fact, this was years ago when we talked about this on Sovereign Tech, that, uh, and this is a company, and I think Ancestry.com is in the same story overall, but uh, but 23 and Me is a company where you can, uh, you know, get, get readouts of your genome. You can find out, uh, you know, what your ancestry is, uh, all kinds of things, you know, lots and lots of data. And, uh, the U S government freaked the fuck out a couple of years ago saying, uh, people can't have all this data that you're giving them, you know, based upon, you know, DNA tests and all this stuff. And so they put the kibosh on it and, and you were kind of limited into what you could get from 23 and me. Well, interestingly, uh, the U S government did a complete turnaround and said, okay, no, actually, 23andMe, you can now give everybody all the information you want. Then we find out there was a story from Ka- or a reveal by Kashmir Hill that 23andMe has been uh, subpoenaed, requested consistently by the FBI and other Alphabet Soup organizations to give them data on people, you know, on customers. Now, supposedly, 23andMe has said that they haven't turned over any of that data. Now, Here's the thing, and that they successfully, you know, thwarted those 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 uh, when the government tried to get that data. I don't buy it. Okay, I know that that's what Twenty Three and Me said, but Twenty Three and Me is allowed to say that under U.S. law to say that. Oh yeah, no, no, they didn't take anything. And Twenty Three and Me did not set up a warrant canary like other large companies have in the past. Think Apple. Uh, you know, to where they, they, you know, there's some plausible deniability. You know, where they could they could show that they've been contacted, and, and you know you could get worried about it or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't see why the government needs this information in any way, shape or form in the first place. Okay. Now I get it. The FBI is doing investigations. Maybe they're trying to find some kind of killer and all that stuff, but you know, I, I could get into the science of DNA because some of that's been thrown into some heavy question uh, in, in some States. Uh, I mean, whatever bottom line is, is that I don't think anybody was sending this information off expecting the U S government to take such a heavy interest in this. And, you know, and it's, it's worrisome. No question about that. Okay. But I don't buy, you know, and I bring this up all the time, Casper Bowden years ago, the late great Casper Bowden, we talked about on sovereign tech. He proved that if you're storing data more or less on servers or in any way, in some kind of cloud, the U S government has the right to get access at any given time to that data. He proved it way before Snowden, you know, said anything. He showed all this off. And so I don't believe it. I believe that 23 and me can say that they didn't give it to them, but I, yeah, I mean that that law is is like a decade old now. That that means that forces companies that you know that have servers in the U.S. to hand over what's on those servers or to hand over what's in the cloud. So, anyway, uh, just an interesting tidbit. I, I thought I'd uh, you know toss it out there. A lot of people are wondering um, about that. Uh, Twitter. I, I don't need to speak much about this. I don't think it's going to shock anybody. There's uh, another big reveal this week. WikiLeaks was talking about it. The Twitter has censored and removed uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of tweets. Uh, also, they've made it so that certain like they're, they're I don't know if it's an algorithm or how personally they're getting involved in this, uh, but they've made it so that some tweets people can't see that way. You don't think yours got removed, your tweet got removed, but then nobody can actually see it. 
And how, you know, how do you get people, how do you get to verify that? How do you know? Uh, so Twitter is certainly not a free speech tool. I mean, after, after seeing that, uh, I, I think that's, you know, that that's pretty clear, but not a whole lot to say on that. And I'm sure it didn't shock a whole lot of people. Uh, Google, here's some interesting numbers uh, from Google. And then I've got one more little bit of Google news I want to talk about. But with, uh, with Google and I, when I say Google, I do mean the search engine. Uh, come to find out 50% of uh, Google usage of the search engine is being done now on mobile. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is, we knew this day was coming, yada, yada, yada. However, that's just with Google. The more interesting uh, statistic that didn't get covered by people when this story came out is that Google gets less than 50% of the searches, you know, entire in their entirety. The search is done on the Internet. Google actually, uh, or at least 50% of people don't use Google at all anymore. And that number is way up. So, okay, 50%, you know, of Google users, you you know, search on mobile. But then you find out that, well, 50% of the people don't even use Google. And I think that's exciting. That That's, I'm, I'm really happy for that because I've been trying to push for some time now uh, after recovering from my Google fanboyism. Uh, I've been trying to push for some time now for people to get away from Alphabet's products uh, in their entirety. And I'm not the only one. Uh, Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, all of them have warned about, in particular, the two companies that they said to get away from it wasn't apple and microsoft it was google and facebook they said you know be very wary don't trust them get away from them so i'm just uh you know i'm in good company when i recommend that uh but something interesting and you know i have to admit and it, well yeah okay one 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 quick thing with with the google stuff so if google search numbers in and of themselves are dropping drastically Okay, and even that 50% of Google usage really probably comes down to the fact that on a lot of mobile phones, that Google search bar is just right there. So, you know, it's tyranny of the default. So people automatically go and use it. I get that. Um, but the interesting thing is that this does show that Google's search engine dominance is dropping drastically. And the interesting thing about that is that I made a prediction uh, some time ago where I said that eventually alphabet slash Google. Well, I mean, at the time it was just Google. We didn't know about alphabet, but, but eventually YouTube is going to be the moneymaker. YouTube is going to be the big deal. YouTube is going to like Google won't even really be a search engine. YouTube will be everything. And it was interesting last week on this week in tech, I gave it a listen. It was actually a really good episode, but, um, uh, Jason Calacanis of this week in startups, he came out and said the same thing last week. He said, YouTube is the most important thing. YouTube will become the search engine. Google is just going to fall by the wayside. YouTube is everything. And I was like, wow, we're fucking right on. (laughs) Exactly. And I had a lot of people email me and even message me on various social media saying, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, that YouTube is going to be the important thing. Google search is just going to be for goddamn forever. Hail Google. Hail Google. Hail Apple. Sorry. (laughs) I guess not. Some very smart people, have, you know, fully agree with me. Uh, but anyway, speaking of YouTube, YouTube Red came out, uh, you know, and in in principle, I don't think this is that terrible of a thing. People are freaking the fuck out. I don't think it's it's that bad a thing. I'll talk about maybe I'll talk about that more during uh, when we get into listener emails. Uh, but 10 bucks a month for YouTube Red and you get Google Play Music, all access and all that stuff. As far as like what you're getting for the money you pay out, it's actually a really great deal in the ability. I mean, this isn't necessarily new. Uh, there was, um, what was it, the music 
it was the YouTube Music Pass or whatever that came for free with Google Play Music All Access. Uh, it allowed for background playing of videos on your mobile device as well as offline playback and all this stuff. There are a lot of great features. Uh, and, you know, considering, I, honestly, let, let me tell you the main reason I don't think this is such a bad thing. And for, for once, I'm thinking about the children. If you, you know, bought, bought like the family, there's that family package for Google. And and believe me, I don't want you to give money to Google, but whatever. Kids today, that's all they watch is YouTube, right? (laughs) I hate to be saying, I I feel like I'm so old and I'm not that old to be saying kids today, but they watch YouTube nonstop. And so if you could somehow get those ads, I mean, yes, you could run an ad blocker that would, that would knock them out in the first place. But if on your everyday device, you could solve, you know, on, on their, the kid's tablet or whatever, you could keep them from having to see all those goddamn ads. Oh, I think it's a fine and dandy thing. You know, just let the kids, I mean, all they care about is Minecraft. They don't want to see any, any shit that, that anybody's selling on there. And that's usually all they're selling is shit. Uh, so I, I think that, that that's that's fine and dandy, uh, you know, YouTube Red. And I mean, the name's unfortunate, right? Everybody talked about that. It's like, wait a minute, RedTube? <laughs> you know, the porn site? <laughs> yeah yeah google's not not so good at the naming thing uh never never really has as has been of course they've never really been good at anything because of course they didn't invent youtube they just bought it out uh no innovation in that company ever so anyway but this you know this whole process uh well th- it'll deserve more exploration in in the future but i just I, you know i want to say look i'm not opposed to every new technology that comes out there uh in principle some of these things are really good i maybe i just don't like the company that's doing it uh so anyway Let's get into the main story. I promise this. We need to talk about it. I had so many people email me and message me and said, Brian, you've got to talk about this this week. And what we're talking about is a pretty, well, it's a very recent development, uh, and it's called the Blockchain Empire. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the, I keep getting that wrong. The Blockchain Alliance. Uh, and it's something that's, uh, I mean, a lot of companies are behind this. Uh, there's, let's see, Bitfinex, Bitfury, Bitco, Bitnet, BitPay, Bitstamp. Can we stop with the bits? Holy shit. Uh, blockchain. Woo. There's one that's different. Uh, <laughs> uh, block circle. Oh dear. Uh, Coinbase, CoinX, Zappo, ItBit, Kraken, uh, MIT Media Lab. Of course, that's MIT Media Lab. Let's, let's make clear the importance of that. That's where Bitcoin gets mainly developed. Not all the developers are there. And I'm not saying all the developers are bad guys, but let's let's be clear that that's what that's what they're talking about there. And this, well, let's shall we read the announcement? Announcing this is by Jerry Brito at uh, CoinCenter.org. dot uh, org announcing the blockchain alliance, October 22nd, 2015. Here we go. So just a couple days ago. Like email or the web, Bitcoin is an open internet protocol. This means that anyone can plug into the network and easily transact with anyone else in the world. Yes, isn't that the beautiful thing about Bitcoin, Stanley breaking in? I certainly think it is. This creates new opportunities for people who previously didn't have access to financial markets, and it also opens up a new world of beneficial permissionless innovation. So far, so good. I, I love this. I, this is the beauty of Bitcoin. This is why I love Bitcoin is because it allows for all of that permissionless innovation keyword. It also means, however, that criminals can use the open network for illicit purposes, just as criminals use email today. Okay. Let's read on. 
Law enforcement will pursue criminals, no matter what technology they're using, and how law enforcement does this can affect an open technology. As a result, it's in, it's in everyone's interest, law enforcement, industry, and those of us who want to keep the technology free and open, to make sure that law enforcement understands how the technology works, what can and can't be done with it, and what are the opportunities and limits it presents for their investigations. To that end, today we announced the formation of the Blockchain Alliance, a forum for law enforcement and regulators to ask questions of each other and to share information, and for law enforcement and regulators to get technical assistance from industry on understanding the blockchain. I mean, I, there's a lot more to read, and I want to read it, <laughs> but I want to break it so quickly. Real quick, you know, with the whole idea of, well, criminals might be using Bitcoin, who decides who are the criminals? How is it possible that in one country something's criminal and in another country it's not? How is it possible? No, forget about it, because, oh, you know, you have so many people that are just like, well... You know, the rest of the world's a pretty scary place. Uh, I'm only concerned with the United States of America. Okay. So if someone uses Bitcoin to buy weed in Colorado, but then tries to use it to buy weed in, say, New Hampshire, in one place, you're a criminal. The other place, you're not. Does that make any sense to anybody? Where's the problem? The problem's not with the money. The problem's with the fucking law. The problem's with the fucking government. There's no, I mean, there's no point in putting any kind of body or educational body around Bitcoin. That's pointless. Let's let Bitcoin just be Bitcoin. You don't put an educational body around email. You put an educational body around the fact that, hey, all these fucking laws, all these people that are called criminals haven't done anything goddamn wrong. And certainly the way they're being treated is ridiculous. And governments are a joke. Yada, 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 yada. Hey, if you're listening, if, you, if this is the first time you ever listened to the show, uh, I'm an anarchist. Just in case you were wondering. And in fact, a lot of the companies that are supporting this uh, blockchain empire, I'm sorry, blockchain alliance. I know there's a lot of anarchists in the, in those companies. Where the hell are you people? Where, how are you not speaking up? Let's read on some more. I mean, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe the, maybe the person running the blockchain Alliance, uh, maybe he's an, maybe, you know, maybe he's on the right team. You know, maybe he's a real good free marketeer or something like that. Let's read, uh, Jason Weinstein, a former deputy assistant attorney general in charge of cybercrime investigations at the Department of Justice and a member of the advisory boards of Coin Center, Bitfury, and the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Oh, please, please don't tell me this is the guy that's running things. Oh, oh no. Okay. Will serve as the director of the Blockchain Alliance. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. He certainly, he certainly got people's, uh, you know, best interests at heart. He's certainly going to bat for the, uh, you know, people's right to privacy or, you know, their, their liberties of privacy and security, etc. <laughs> the deputy assistant attorney general in charge of cybercrime investigations. I'd love to hear that definition of cybercrime. 
Reading on, uh, industry participants include Coin Center, the Chamber of Digital Commerce, MIT. Yeah, we, we already went down this whole list, uh, including the blockchain.info. Uh, let's see. The Blockchain Alliance is engaged with the Department of Justice, including the FBI and the U.S. Marshals Service, the U.S. Secret Service, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Homeland Security Investigations, and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And we plan to engage with other U.S. and foreign agencies as well. Really? That's a pretty good rogues gallery there that you're even bothering to talk to. Let's read on a little more. The Alliance will be a resource for law enforcement where they can feel comfortable asking technical questions to some of the brightest minds in the space. All right, hold, hold, no, all right. Stanley Bregan, stop right there. How about law enforcement work on making me feel comfortable to even leave my house or to even live in this country because I don't feel comfortable with law enforcement around. Fuck that, I'm going to help them feel comfortable about anything. Feel a little edgy? Feel a little nervous about the fact that people are using money that doesn't come from your goddamn masters? Good. Make you feel comfortable. And we'll get into that whole topic a little bit later in the show. I'm not the one carrying a gun. I'm just carrying a crypto. I'm carrying crypto. I'm carrying math around. And I need to make you feel comfortable. Reading on. It's also a resource for the blockchain community to understand the interests and concerns of law enforcement and regulators about the blockchain and its applications. Some of this is happening now on an ad hoc basis, but the Blockchain Alliance will be a one-stop resource and a known forum for discussion. To be clear, the Blockchain Alliance is not a backdoor for the government to get information about companies or their customers. No, 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 of course they're not. But most of these companies are already a backdoor, right? Remember those those nodes that were... uh, Yeah, tracking people. Anyway, the protection of privacy and civil liberties is paramount. The discussions between industry and government through the Blockchain Alliance will not be about particular investigations or targets. Rather, they will be higher level discussions about typologies, trends, and technical issues. The participating companies would not share information about their their customers slash users, except as required by law. So just come out and say it, that you're going to share information about your customers and users if you have to say required by i mean look it's required by law to tell everybody to tell the nsa everything or to tell the cia or the fbi everything we've already covered this countless times on sovereign tech just don't bother saying it if you are going to engage instead of end run the entire u.s government you are handing over everything about your customers Don't tell me that you give a shit about privacy and civil liberties and then say you want to have an open dialogue with law enforcement. Those are antithetical goals. The only way I know you care about privacy and civil liberties is by you saying, you know, effectively in your business actions, fuck them. I'm going to do my thing over here. I'm not even going to get incorporated. I'm just going to do it and I'm going to move on and let them just try and catch me. Businesses can do that. National businesses can do that. 
You know, somebody, Ian Freeman of Free Talk Live, he constantly talks about how he doesn't pay taxes. He runs a, a radio show that is nationwide. It's insanely popular. It's in the, the Talkers Heavy 100. Yeah. Let's read a little bit more here. It's important to correct the misperception of Bitcoin as the currency of criminals. No, God, I can't get through a sentence. No, it is the, cur- the currency of criminals, but criminals are bad people in this world. Kids running lemonade stands in Central Park are criminals today. It's true. By the definition of criminals, they're criminals. We could go down the list of people that are that are considered criminals. No, that's the whole point. That's the whole idea behind Bitcoin is that it was meant to be the currency that people could use who were not allowed to take access because of legal bullshit. Okay, of the legacy system, the legacy banking system, whatever, whatever else that exists today. Yes, it is the currency of criminals. What you need to do is and this is going to sound ironic. You need to decriminalize criminalization. If you want to have an, uh, an open forum, again, don't try to, to, to uh, you know, get rid of the, the misconceptions or misperceptions of Bitcoin. Work on the misperceptions of what a criminal is. Work on the misperceptions of law. Reading on, this misperception can have very real consequences. It can influence how law enforcement regulators and lawmakers approach Bitcoin and could undermine the growth of Bitcoin and the blockchain educating law enforcement and regulators directly about this technology will reduce their fear or anxiety about it. No, don't, 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 don't reduce it. Let them know that people know that their systems crap and that we can take totally nonviolent actions like creating our own money to put an end to it. It will also be helpful for industry to hear about what law enforcement is worried about in terms of the use of the technology for illegal purposes. Once again, who defines what's illegal? Because it's different everywhere. I mean, that, that you're, you're playing a, a game, a minesweeper. There's a lot of crime on the Internet, but no one thinks of the Internet as the network of criminals. For the blockchain to thrive as the Internet has, the industry needs to work together to change perceptions and that's the the end of that write-up uh there is of course you can go to blockchainalliance.org it really again it should be blockchain empire and you know there's a lot of people in fact there's people i didn't expect to be worried about this as in people from the bitcoin foundation uh and and others that are very worried about this they're being very vocal about the fact that wait a minute Explain to me how engaging the FBI or police or whoever else is in any way helpful to Bitcoin. It's not. It's not helpful to Bitcoin. It's a good point. But I think this highlights something very interesting in the Bitcoin space is that a lot of the investors, a lot of the VCs, a lot of the companies, the only thing they're really worried about is the price of Bitcoin going up. 
And I think everybody feels, and this is a conversation that's been being had at Bitcoin conferences for years now. I've been there. I've been to the conferences to hear it. And they all say, we need to get it more legitimate. And all that, that whole cry for it to be more legitimate, it has one singular goal, not to give more people access to block, uh, you know, to Bitcoin. It can't get much easier than it is when you look at things like Airbits and some others. It really can't get much easier. If it gets much easier, you're going to run into, you know, there's going to be a, a, a diminishing returns on that. So their thinking is, is that we just, we got to make it more legit. We got to make it more legitimate and get people on board, you know, and get rid of this whole, uh, you know, supposed mis, misperception of it being the currency of criminals. All these people are interested in is making money. And it reminds me, you know, I'm reminded of it was a BC next, the the anonymous person that that made NXT. He had a he made a statement. This was a couple of years ago now, I guess, or however long. It was something to the effect of the problem with Bitcoin is that eventually people stop wanting to make Bitcoin and instead they wanted to make money. And I, I think that that's totally key. These people will bend over backwards to whatever fucking government you call out, you, you know, that you mention just as long as they can get that return on their investment. That's all they fucking give a shit about. Most of these companies, not all. But, you know, I, I want to mention a couple of these companies. I'm a little shocked. Like, say, the company blockchain, you know, is in blockchain.com, blockchain.info. Some of the people there are supposedly very freedom-loving people, and they don't know better. In fact, I think blockchain, uh, you know, like they've talked, they've they've definitely pulled on this whole, like there there was this big breakup between, uh, you know, the owners of Coinbase and the owners of blockchain. One of them wanted to keep uh, Bitcoin in in the more, the libertarian, you know, liberty-minded space. And the other one, the one that went to Coinbase, you know, it's like, well, we want to get into the mainstream and all this stuff. And so you had two divergent paths uh, that, you know, these companies came out of the same group, as I understand it. And I, you know, I was like, cool. All right. Blockchain, you know, they're, they're on board with all this stuff. You know, they seem to really care about the community. And then, you know, real quick, that's another thing too, uh, because a lot of the verbiage that this blockchain Alliance is using is saying, yeah, you know, we want to represent the community. I, I didn't ask you to represent me. Who, who gave you the right to represent me? But anyway, you know, blockchain.info or .com, whatever they happen to be now, you know, this is supposed to be the, the company that's really on board with the whole liberty behind behind Bitcoin and all this stuff, and they're supporting this crap. I mean, that's really disheartening for some of these companies, but that one in particular, in fact, you know, I think they had a saying. What was it? Be your own bank? Well, let me tell you something. The people have a saying, too. Put your money where your mouth is. And talking to the FBI and law enforcement and NSA, whoever the fuck else. Man, that ain't matching up with your verbiage. Don't tell me you give a shit about liberty and then you're going to go suck their dicks. In fact, Olivier Janssen's. Uh, who you know kind of kind of inserted himself into the uh, into the the Bitcoin Foundation to kind of you know take it down from within and all this stuff. Actually, a, a, a decently cool guy, is certainly very principled. He um he warned when he left the you know he did that big expose. We covered it on Sovereign Tech. Uh, this is boy maybe last year or however long ago it was, uh, where he said he says, look, the Bitcoin Foundation is like it's insolvent. It's, it's just it's going to fall apart. But whatever, watch out because. 
there's other companies coming. There's other foundations getting built right now. And here it is. He was warning about it. And I think this is one of those things that Olivier was talking about. Or Olivier. I, I always pronounce his name wrong. I feel bad. And, you know, I'm reminded there was somebody made. Oh, man, they made this great tweet this week. I forget who it was, but they said, oh, I went to this Bitcoin company and they asked me to sign up. And then it just said, oh, shit, (laughs) you guys got it all wrong. This is Bitcoin. I'm not supposed to have to sign up for anything. And yet that's the point. It was supposed to be me having control over my money for the very first time in my life. And I know when you take control away from domination systems, when you take control away from the government, from law enforcement and whoever else, they get skittish. They get, uh, uh, you know, creeped out, afraid. And now I'm supposed to worry about making those people feel more comfortable when the whole reason Bitcoin got built was to get away from that system in and of itself. And oh, yes, that was the point. That was the origin. That's how it started. That's how it got popular. Bitcoin is here to, I was told it was going to free me. Not that it was going to play ball with the very thing that keeps me from being free. Law enforcement, government. What is this? Who thinks this is a good idea? Who's supporting this? And you know, are you going to tell me that, oh, well, you know, really, it's, it's, it's just, it's an inside job there. You know, these guys are actually, they're all about liberty. Don't worry. It's just, we just want to assuage uh, the government until it's like, oh yeah, yeah. And, and Ron Paul or Rand Paul and Rand Paul's an anarchist, right? Bullshit, man. The only way I know to trust anybody is by them talking the talk and walking the walk. And none of these companies are doing either. So what am I supposed to believe? It's funny, you know, I, I've worn this for years on CyberTech. I said, why isn't the Bitcoin, why, why isn't the, uh, the, the Bitcoin development team, why aren't they working with ZeroCoin? And I've yet to really hear a good answer as to why that is, because ZeroCoin was going to make Bitcoin anonymous and all this stuff right from the get-go. But instead, we're years later in, and nobody has really, you know, bothered to work on that an anonymity and privacy that can really be, that can really be achieved with Bitcoin. And now maybe it's too late. I'm not saying get away from Bitcoin. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying, holy shit, how is this happening? No. Be vocal. Tell people. This blockchain alliance shit, that's just what it is. It's crap. We don't need to talk to anybody about anything. Nobody nobody bothers to try and make email look good. Stop. That's their whole logic is like, well, nobody thinks email is the the system of criminals and all this stuff. It's like, right, this because nobody has to have that conversation. Nobody has to have this conversation about Bitcoin. It doesn't have to happen. Just let the goddamn thing be and let it let the technology do the whole end run around the whole legacy system, every last goddamn bit part of it. And then everything will be fine. I'll be back with more as a sovereign tech. Hey, I want to tell you about something. It's a website called LibertyMemes.com. It's a site that was established recently by voluntarists for voluntarists, and also for the purpose of helping spread the message of liberty. What's more important than that? Many of the memes at libertymemes.com are not only extremely entertaining, but also quite informative and convincing in the cause of promoting liberty and libertarian ideas. I need you 
to go to libertymemes.com. That's libertymemes.com and find a few memes that speak to a part of the message of liberty that you associate with and share those memes using the easy share bar located at the bottom of the screen. And libertymemes.com is a mobile-ready website. That means regardless of what chrome robot turd of a device you're slinging around, you can access it. Of course, I suppose you don't have to visit libertymemes.com and share their memes. You don't have to support their sponsors. Because at the end of the day, eh, maybe liberty isn't really that important to you. But then, why are you listening to this show? libertymemes.com, adding new memes every day and rapidly approaching their 1,000th meme Visit them today at libertymemes.com. Thank you for the exclusive, Mr. Sovereign. Please, Jane. It'll be our pleasure. Tea? Oh, thank you. I must say, for an anarchist, you're not what I expected. I'll assume that's a compliment. It is. Uh, is it true what they say about you? That you're a godless hedonist, bent on ending governments and conservative values? All true. But, but, what about supporting the troops? Marriage, white picket fences, and apple pie? (laughs) Come on, Jane. I love pie. As far as everything else, it's all just here to keep you from being happy. Wouldn't you rather be traveling the world, fucking every day, not worrying about what other people think? My, Mr. Sovereign. Come to think of it, I never felt like I fit into the system very well. I always wondered what it's like to be with an anarchist. Well, here's your chance to roll the roulette wheel and find out. Tech Roulette. It is time for Tech Roulette, where... I cover the stories that get sent in to me through the various channels available. Of course, you can go to SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N, or you can go to Z-O-G.Ninja. All goes to the same website, and you can find the Contact Us tab there and plenty of ways to get in touch with the show. Of course, this whole show is, all like I said, this one's all user-generated, <laughs> like or not user, uh, listener-generated. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is what people that, you know, this is what you wanted me to talk about, so I'm talking about it. Uh, the the Bitcoin Empire th- or blockchain empire or I'm sorry blockchain alliance. <laughs> I mean, you can't imagine how many people in the middle of the night, Friday night, people are are, are messaging me with that, and here I am getting busy. I mean, uh, doing things, and woo, there it is. So anyway, this I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Our topic for tech roulette here. Uh, because I think this is really important, and and I get you know I have to admit to you when I see. I get a little more worried about stories when I see other, as I admitted, I'm an anarchist. When I see other anarchists, supposedly, that get excited about certain technologies where I look at them and I go, wait, what? (laughs) You know, like, like there's, this is not a good idea in any metric. I mean, like, even if you're like an anarcho-capitalist or something, it's like Mises would have laughed his ass off at this or Rothbard would have said, no, this is a terrible idea. What are you doing? And I saw an idea that I think is just so economically, philosophically unsound uh, that I, you know, I, I felt a desire to talk about it. And people asked me to talk about it, so I will. And it's Augur. Now, before anybody says anything, because I imagine a lot of my audience has already heard of Augur, and I've already said in the past that I don't like the idea of prediction markets. 
before I get into that, you know, I know that this is built on top of Ethereum at the moment. I'm not really going to address that too much because the team at Augur has also stated that they would be happy to have Augur be a sidechain for Bitcoin. Now, that alone with, with Augur is this prediction market. We'll, we'll talk more about what Augur is in just a second. But before I get into that, you know, a technology that's relying upon sidechains or Ethereum is falling under one big problem, admittedly, no matter which way they go. And that is security. I've yet, no one has, again, I say this all the time. No one has brought to me the secure, the way to secure the line effectively, the point of departure and arrival between the Bitcoin blockchain and a side chain. How do you secure those two things? No, I haven't heard. I just haven't heard about it. You know what, what people want to really implement. And it should have been talked about. This is a topic that should be a lead story at, you know, wherever, Coindesk or Cointelegraph. And it's not, as far as I know. Uh, and Ethereum is the same deal. You know, like, how do you secure that baby down? It doesn't have the user base that Bitcoin does. So, I mean, certainly there's that issue. But that issue completely aside, I want to get into uh, the rest of it. And we can go right to uh, Augur's main page. Okay, so we'll, we'll, whatever we talk about will be completely out of their out of their own uh, words. And it's Augur, a clearer future. Uh, and this is available in Alpha. It's out there. Uh, let's see. And they do a quote from Mark Andreessen, which whatever, that doesn't mean uh, anything at all. But the idea is here. Okay, uh, let's see. Information aggregation. Imagine a world where pundits and politicians were judged not on the loudness of their voices or the brazenness of their statements, but on the merit of what they said. Envision a day when forecasts made by anyone could be put to a market filled with actors seeking to earn a reward based on the outcome of that prediction. Introducing Augur, a fully decentralized open source prediction market platform built on the Ethereum blockchain for any and all predictive markets intended to revolutionize forecasting, decision making and the manner in which information is collected and aggregated. And now their basis for this whole idea, and I've heard this in interviews with some people, uh, is this wisdom of the crowd. And they've got a little bit here on it. I want to read it. Wisdom of the crowd in 2007. Columbia Business School professor Michael Malbusen, maybe I pronounced that wrong, asked his 73 students to estimate the number of jelly beans in a jar. Their estimates ranged from 240 to 4100. There were 1116 candies. The average error which only two students beat was 700. That is a 62% rate of error. However, despite the students' poor judgment, the average of their guesses was 1,151, only 3% away from the actual number of jelly beans. This study has been repeated in many forms, and the results remain the same. We are bringing this convergence of beliefs to every subject, from politics to climatology, harnessing the wisdom of the crowd, and forcing the crowd to put their money where their mouth is. There's that statement again. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> uh, prediction markets. Prediction markets allow their users to buy and sell shares in the outcome of, of an event. The current market price of a share is an estimate of the probability of an event occurring. If there's a prediction market on whether Hillary Clinton will win the 2016 election, a share of yes that costs 60 cents means she has a 60% chance of winning, according to the market. The Iowa electronic market allows its users to wage on the outcomes of U.S. political events. It typically predicts elections within 1% more accurate than polls or expert opinions. Since 1988, it has correctly predicted the outcome of every U.S. 
president presidential uh, election. Now, speaking of presidential election stuff, actually, Microsoft has their own little uh, prediction market that they run in house. But that's all that it does. Uh, I think some people want to bring up, well, lots of companies run these prediction markets, uh, of course, not in a decentralized fashion like Augur is doing, um, but lots of companies run them in, you know, interiorly, uh, uh, like uh, Google has an interior uh, prediction markets that a lot of people wonder, what the hell are they using that for? What are they doing with it? And uh, like I said, Microsoft has one, but Microsoft is, to the best of my knowledge, is just for, you know, is, is this this kind of game that they're playing? It's something that I think they're, they're toying uh, with. But this is the point, is that the very notion of wisdom of the crowds and the, niche, the notion of prediction markets, etc., is not something, this is not some kind of new development that suddenly in, you know, in 2007, people thought, oh, well, this is a great idea. Let's start developing this. Or, you know, that somebody recently said, well, let's put this on to Augur and all that. Um, this is... Actually, a, an idea that was developed by, can you guess? DARPA. I'm not saying Augur was developed by, by, uh, by DARPA, but I am saying that the first use of prediction markets is particularly, or maybe not the first use necessarily, but one of the initial uses of prediction markets, including particularly to predict uh, political outcomes, was done by DARPA. It was a project called Future Map run by uh, Robin Hansen. Uh, and so he had this whole theory around all this, okay, which sounds a lot like Augur. He had this whole theory of, uh, you know, like this idea of a shared future where, and, and things would constantly change based upon popular opinion and all this. And, and it was all part of this whole future map uh, project. And even, in fact, within Future Map, there was this thing called PAM, uh, Policy Analysis Market. And it was designed, it was specifically designed to look at the Middle East, this is after 2002, so uh, fairly recently, to look at the Middle East and try and predict what was, you know, what would be the political landscape over years uh, within the Middle East. Now, I think it was actually being done to some degree before 2002, because Robin Hansen's work goes back a little bit further than that. Uh, but this is where we can officially track that, that to some degree it started. So you have Future Map, you have PAM within it all designed to, I mean, can, what, you know, what could, what could DARPA possibly want to know, uh, about, uh, you know, Middle East politics in post nine 11, uh, you know, the post nine 11 Middle East. Hmm. Do you think that there's anything beneficial being considered there? Or would you assume that it's largely nefarious myself as someone that was actually serving in the military at that time in the Middle East? Uh, I would dare, I would go so far to say that I think that their intentions would be largely nefarious to do with this. And to prove the point more, what division do you think that Future Map and PAM and all of that was being developed under? That this whole prediction market in its one of its original implementations was being developed under? Why? It was TIA, Total Information Awareness. Now, if you don't remember what Total Information Awareness was about, or... <laughs> this was that government program that had the symbol of the earth being overshadowed by a giant pyramid with one eye. And the one eye is like beam has this, has this beam shining down onto the earth. It was really creepy. And in fact, when people found out about it back in 2002, 2003, they put the kibosh on the whole program, or at least publicly they did <laughs> because it was such a public nightmare. 
<laughs> you know, to see that that even just the symbol alone. I mean, and of course, that's just one of many creepy symbols that the U.S. government uses. OK, <laughs> so, so this prediction markets was all a part of a system that was designed to empower the U.S. government's ability to predict and control populaces, be it in the Middle East. And of course, as we know, a total information awareness, it wasn't just about looking at foreign powers. It was also about looking domestically. So when you get into prediction markets themselves, it's very easy to just run to that and just say, okay, no, these are things that are used to, you know, by the, by the powers that be or whatever to, to be able to control and, uh, you know, control outcomes like these shared futures uh, that Robin Hansen, uh, you know, was talking about now, but it's interesting, you know, to bring up um, that, that whole, because of the, the fiasco around total information awareness, uh, the whole future map project was was shut down. Now, you can ask yourself, OK, did it just go underground or was it literally completely shut down? And if it was completely shut down, if it's such a great idea, if prediction markets are such a wonderful thing for forecasting world events, why did the government stop getting involved in it? Why did they stop funding it? What's the deal? I think it's because they know it doesn't work. That it actually has a very high failure rate when you get into real world situations. And what I mean by real world situations is, is that, you know, one of the best examples, when you talk about wisdom of the crowds, which is what prediction markets are all based around. When you talk about wisdom of the crowns, you have a few criteria. Okay. There is the, with prediction markets, you need to have a diverse sample group, meaning you have to have a lot of individuals within the crowd that are very different from each other. That's really the way that it has to work. Now, you have things that work in contrast to this, like the internet itself. Consider the blue and gold dress. Okay. The blue and gold dress. A lot of people thought it was blue. A lot of people thought it was gold, whatever, but it was really, nobody was really calling it white, which wasn't that it wasn't originally white. I, I, maybe I'm getting the colors messed up, but the point is the same is that people will generally only have, you know, with, with mass media, with mass communication, people usually get into a very binary way of thinking. You know, either or, and that doesn't work well for uh, for a prediction market. You know, it doesn't allow for it to work well at all. You need to have a lot of very, you know, drastically different, uh, you know, very independent uh, thought processes going on for these things to work. And this is all based on research that people have done on, on, on wisdom of the crowds. So, and I, you know, I want to talk about the other one, which a lot of people point to for wisdom of the crowds is uh, the who wants to be a millionaire scenario. A lot of people run to that instantly saying, oh, see how this worked. It's like most of the time the crowd was was right on and all this. And the thing is, is that that was such a controlled situation. And many of these things are they're very controlled situations uh, like you know, you, you consider how the prediction markets will predict what politicians going to be going in. Uh, look, when you've got a two party system and the game is all rigged against that two party, that prediction market that supposedly gets it right every single time is working within a very controlled idea. And Augur, you know, by their own verbiage is saying we want to stop. You know, we, we want to predict world events. I mean, they, they're talking very, very broad. Prediction markets can't work that way. They don't work in that kind of broad system. In a very, very controlled situation, maybe they work. You take who wants to be a millionaire. You have four choices for the question. Of course, you know that. I mean, that like that that'll that'll work in that in that regard. But it's not going to do this this wide, uh, you know, prediction of any kind. In controlled environments, very different story. The world is not a controlled environment. In fact. 
even in some controlled environments. Or perhaps the more interesting point is in uh, abstractness. And believe me, I've got so much more to talk about with with Augur. I mean, there's just there's so much goddamn wrong with this. Okay, to somehow think that this is a good idea. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm a little worried, admittedly, that I think when anarchists get excited about something, it's not because it may not even be necessarily. Yeah, it can be about the money. Maybe they think Augur is going to make a lot of money and Augur has already made four million, I think, in, in seed. OK, but I think they get excited because somehow they think it's going to replace government. And I'm a little worried about that. Because Robin Hansen actually talked about it. He, cre- he, he said you could make a government around prediction markets. And also their close brethren betting markets. And those are, he called it futurchy. Now, folks, if look, anarchy's anarchy. There's, there's no government to be had. That's the whole point is you don't have something like hanging over you. And if that's all you're interested in doing, well, isn't that funny? How many times have I said that in sovereign text history? I'm terrified of people wanting to replace the tyranny of the gun with the tyranny of the code. In this case, Augur. On top of Ethereum, which, like I said, I, I didn't want to bring that up, but whatever, because that's the first time I brought up Tyranny of the Code was with Ethereum. So what if there are a lot of use cases that show that actually wisdom of the crowds failed? Well, there are. <laughs> Funny you should ask. In fact, one of my favorites, this is one of my favorite stories, and this is, you know, folks, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but this is... This is why I enjoy having a good knowledge of history, having some experience, because you don't seem to get that in a whole lot of other podcasts. In 1999, Gary Kasparov took on tens of thousands of people in a game of chess via the Internet. Game went on about four months. Kasparov, of course, is known, you know, he lost to whatever Watson. Uh, But as far as taking on the wisdom of the crowds, he took on Thousands of people, four-month game, who do you think won? I mean, come on. The crowds are never wrong. Like, they, they usually, they're only off by, like, 3% or something. Uh, and especially, I mean, let's talk about chess. Chess is a game that's all about prediction. It's about being, you know, many times ahead of, uh, you know, of the other player. You would think, and it's a it's kind of a controlled environment too, right? You would think that people would, you know, thousands of people would easily be able to come together and beat the crap out of Kasparov in a game of chess. Wrong. Kasparov wiped the floor with them. It's one of the greatest, uh, I mean, if you want to call it an experiment, it was one of the greatest experiments ever. It showed definitively the power of the individual, the ability of the individual The power of abstract thought, not of collective collated thought. And Augur stands directly in contrast to abstract thought. In my opinion. It's it's an amazing thing. I mean, if you just want to say, it's like, can one man make a difference? Can one man beat the thousands? Absolutely. Within that game anyway. And admittedly, maybe chess isn't that much of a controlled environment like who wants to be a millionaire because the mathematical you know, possibilities within chess uh, are, are pretty numerable. I mean, like that, that's definitely uh, a very high uh, number. So now prediction markets and this sort of thing and kind of its close cousin betting markets, all of this stuff uh, in many ways has been done before. Uh, there was a Trendio.com. 
Okay, that was a prediction market. The problem was is that it was kind of centralized and come to find out, again, you lose, like I said, the importance of having that diversity within your sample group, uh, you know, that, that that's going on some kind of a, uh, a, you know, a prediction contract, I guess we could call it that for Augur. Uh, Trendio trended towards America. <laughs> so everybody's like, well, this shit's rigged. And so Augur supposedly can solve that to some degree with decentralization, but I disagree. Now, Augur has this, this concept of reputation, which that has its own problems. I've talked about reputation many times. Um, but the idea is that the reputation, you know, there's a, there's kind of two coins within Augur. You know, there's Augur and there's REP. Uh, maybe I'm not getting that entirely 100% right on how that should be described. But you have REP, which is how this reporter, you have a reporter. Say you want to, you want to put, so to describe how a prediction market with Augur would work is that somebody would predict, oh, like they said, Hillary Clinton will be president in 2016. Okay, fine. So then someone puts that up. You put up the money on that. Other people will bet in. Uh, I have an initial problem there because I don't know that Augur is necessarily transparent to the degree that, uh, you know, will you know just how many people, you know, what are the, what are the odds, you know, are they doing, you know, 10 to one on, on Hillary or, you know, what's, what's the deal? No one's really gotten into that sort of things. And, and I think that's kind of important, but a lot of booking doesn't work that way. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, but that's getting into betting markets, which we can talk about more in a minute. So you put up this, okay, uh, Hillary, let's say Hillary actually wins, um, a reporter of some kind who is just a completely anonymous actor that isn't a wager. There are two different, different roles. And this reporter will, uh, you know, say, okay, yeah, Hillary won. And that's the verification are these reporters and they're anonymous. They're supposed to be anonymous anyway. And I think that's, if you were to do this, that's the right way to do that is to have that an anonymity built in. I hope the wagers, you know, have that an anonymity built in as well. So then a month or so will go by and this time is indeterminate. There hasn't been a clear cut, you know, saying on like, how long is it, you know, how long of time do you go through where there is kind of a confirmation period as I understand it? Okay. Because then a month later, there won't be a payout once Hillary wins a month later after it is confirmed again by other, uh, you know, reporters with REP with reputation. Uh, when it's confirmed again, then there will be the payout. But that time after when that can be confirmed is, you know, that that's a huge, that's a big up in the air. Uh, because what if something that you're betting on, you know, a month isn't good enough, you know, to really confirm, like it needs some kind of, I don't know, gestation period or some shit who the hell knows. Okay. And so, but what would happen on the alternative is say, if Hillary didn't actually win, but it was reported that she did, then a month later they would find out that, oh no, she didn't actually win. And the people who said she wouldn't win, of course, would get a payout. And then the false reporters from a month previous would lose out on REP. They would, they would lose a lot of reputation, these reputation coins. And it's an interesting system. Okay. Now, but there's, there's an inherent problem here. Okay. And that, you know, I mean, is, can every reputation system be gamed? Yes, I think so. I think Augur would also be gamed. I think that there would be a way that that would get done, but ironically what this does, you know, and this is something we didn't get into with the whole blockchain Alliance thing. One of the main points that people are bringing up was that blockchain tech or Bitcoin in particular was supposed to get rid of the middlemen. You were supposed to, you know, you don't need the banker, you know, as in be your own bank. Like that saying used to be that no one seems to live by anymore by empowering the people with their own wallets. Okay. Uh, you know, you would have, um, you'd get rid of the lawyers. You'd get rid of all this stuff. Well, look, once you have a reputation system, folks, you have to create an entire infrastructure that has to engage in damage control. So you didn't get rid of anything. 
in doing this. You just created a whole other, uh, uh, you know, problem solving market that wouldn't need to exist in the first place if the prediction market didn't exist. Because there's going to be problems with character assassination and all this stuff. And speaking of assassination, now, this is going into the uh, extreme. This may be, uh, what, what is it, argumentum ad absurdum? You know, the absurdity. But I think it's it, this has serious potential. What if people start betting? I have a huge issue with this. What if people start betting on your life and that you'll die on this day? Do you think there's people that are going to make that happen? If they're laying down millions of dollars or who knows what, however, you know, whatever amount of money that that's going to happen. Do you think people are going to start making their bets come true? Uh, yeah. You know, in fact, there's an old saying people talk about, oh, wisdom of the crowds is actually a very old idea. Well, there's another old saying that a person who thinks they're going to die within the next 24 hours is likely to make it happen. So much philosophy around this. And there's no need for this. There's, 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 there's no need for this whole system. So you're going to create entire legal markets because people are going to say, oh, this bet was put against me, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and or like my REP was taken away because that's what, that's what happens is if you report it wrong, you lose out on REP and people say, oh no, I wasn't really wrong. I mean, I mean, there's just, there's this huge problem that's going to come out of this. And like I mentioned with assassination, you know, what if an assassination market comes out of this? I mean, there already is one, you know, there's one built for, you know, built on Bitcoin and Tor in 2013. What if that's the next big thing to come for, you know, for Augur? And I, you can say, well, okay, the art, the reporters are supposed to keep an eye on all this stuff. I mean, you know, within betting markets, which is a close cousin of all this, uh, this is a real issue, like in horse races. In horse races, which, you know, what happens is, is that, you know, you start having people bet, you know, they, they, they're doing like a short like you would on stocks. Okay, they start doing a bet on who's going to lose. And then when you have so many variables within, like, say, a horse race, uh, you know, it becomes an issue is like, are people going to make sure that this horse loses? You know, and and does it win? At what place are they supposed to lose and all this stuff? And they're worried that people will set things up. And so to make sure there's no foul play, they, you know, these these betting. uh, What is it like uh, William? Oh, I I can't think of the name. There's lots of these in in, in Britain. Uh, Ladbrokes, William Hill. Okay, what they'll do is, is that they have to be transparent with the jockey club. So there needs to be a governing body to make sure that there's no foul play. And that's the thing is that I don't think that this whole REP system is going to be a successful governing body to make sure that there's no foul play in all this. There's no requirement that a reporter has to verify how exactly the person died or, you know, whatever, how it actually all went down. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, how did this happen exactly? Was Did somebody set this up and all this stuff? There's no, I mean, how are you going to enforce that? You're going to have to create an enforcement body and then you're creating a government. Once you have an enforcement body, freedom goes out the fucking door. I mean, and there's there's other stuff they talk about. Yeah, yeah, I said prediction markets aren't new. Betting markets aren't new. And and it's all kind of tied up into one in auger. I mean, but this is just it sounds to me like this is the classic thing that I constantly complain about. It's like, oh, well, gee, if you put it on a blockchain, suddenly it's a good fucking idea. No, it's a bad idea. It doesn't matter if you put it on a blockchain. That doesn't just suddenly make it a good idea. How about WebBot? Here's a great prediction market. 
the <laughs> wet bot. I love this. This is the thing that said this is what's collating. This is what Augur's talking about. We're going to collate all this information, all this web chatter, all this internet data, all this stuff is going to come together on on the blockchain, and we're going to have this great betting market. We're going to we're going to get the wisdom of the crowds and all this stuff. Well, there has already been, like I said, these things have already existed. Webbot's been around for a good long while, and Webbot. Some people say it accurately predicted, like, what was it, that that blackout of 2003 in the northeast of the U.S.? Uh, there was that Indian Ocean earthquake, earthquake in 04, 05, whatever, uh, that they say it predicted. They say it predicted Katrina. All that's pretty specious, but the things that it's gotten wrong are huge. Particularly, it said, WebBot said, and WebBot is is kind of this prediction market. It's this thing running saying, I'm going to get grab the wisdom of the crowds, and I'm going to predict what's going to happen. Well, WebBot said, December 21st, 2012... Which, by the way, was the first episode of Sovereign Tech. They said there was going to be a cataclysmic event that, you know, on, on the Earth. It wouldn't wipe out the planet, but it was going to be cataclysmic. It was going to affect everything. It was going to be all done and over. Look, folks, I released my episode of Sovereign Tech. Lottie freaking died. Now, was that the cataclysmic event? Boy, that'd be funny as fuck. It got tons of things wrong. It said in 2008 there'd be this terrible earthquake in Vancouver. Look, it never happened. None of this shit happened. Prediction markets don't work in the real world. Google uses them. What, you think Google's doing a good job? Are you kidding me? YouTube Red, did their prediction market tell them to name the goddamn thing YouTube Red? Whose bright idea was that? <laughs> it's a marketing fiasco. That company sucks ass. No, 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 no. This stuff doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I dare say for it to even be able to remotely work, it creates things antithetical to freedom. And how about this? Why don't we go back to like with the with the blockchain empire? I'm sorry, the blockchain alliance. Okay, here's from September 1st, 2015, right on Augur's website, augur.net. This is on their blog. And it's all Regulation and Augur by Perrineau Despignes. I Maybe I pronounced, I probably didn't pronounce his name right. I'm sorry. Okay, but it's all about how, no, don't worry. Prediction markets work great with regulators. We are ready to work with you. We are, and, and there's the verbiage, folks. If you're into liberty, Augur is not a part of the program. It's not. It doesn't work. It's a bad idea. It has the potential to create very, very ugly situations. And I love this. It's always like that, right? It's like, well, as a startup, okay, what problem can we solve? And they never, ever think, they never think, but without, you know, they never go with the rest of that question. The rest of that question should be not what problem can we solve? What problem can we solve without creating a whole bunch of other ones? And folks, I think you're going to create a whole bunch of other ones if you go with Augur. There's nothing liberty-minded here. And in fact, outside of liberty, it's just it's it's a bad idea. It's all about fixing the game. I mean, and why do you even want to predict to make money? Or would you want to predict to perhaps take control of the future? And who's going to use that? Because I hate to tell you folks, but most people aren't anarchists. And if people had predictive abilities, where do you think they'd steer that shit? I'll be back with more. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. A female listener asked why her partner has an erection when he wakes up in the morning, but he doesn't want to have sex. Yet later in the day when he has an erection, he wants to get physical. What she doesn't know is that erections men have when we're asleep are governed by a different part of the brain than the erections we have when we're awake and feeling sexually aroused. In fact, guys usually have three or four erections during a normal night of sleep. 
These erections are caused by the changes in our bodies that happen during REM or dream sleep. So rather than being caused by a dream about sex, our sleep erections are automatic. We get them whether we're dreaming about being chased by wolves or kissing the love of our life. So without sexual arousal, an erection by itself is not necessarily a motivator for sex. A man needs to wake up feeling horny or to start feeling horny soon after waking up in order to convert a sleep-related erection into one that's sex-worthy. And good luck with this if you're not a morning person. Also, there's an urban myth that having a full bladder is the reason why guys often wake up in the morning with an erection. Well, that's just coincidence. The longer we're sleeping, the more we dream, and the more likely we are to wake up in the morning with a tent in the sheets. Thanks for listening to 90 Seconds on Sex. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Oh, ah, that was... I'm speechless. Oh, if I'm leaving a reporter speechless, I must be doing things right. (gasps) Natalia, what's going on? Agent Sovereign, read this. Then meet me at the Central HQ. I have to go. What was that? And why would someone give you something on paper these days? Because it's something that is too important to risk sending digitally. As for what the message says, it looks like I've been doing things wrong. Important messages. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to try and calm it down now. (laughs) Uh, I promise I don't do cocaine. I really don't. (laughs) But uh, No, I mean, really, I don't. I'm, I'm a teetotaler. I don't even drink. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is important messages where you can, of course, send messages You can go to sovereigntech.com and there's, there's a contact us tab, plenty of ways to ask me and you can ask me any question you want. And people send me stories that way too, of course, which we've been covering all episode. Uh, and I've got a lot of questions to get to, get to here and not a lot of time. Uh, so I do want to jump, uh, right into it, but please, again, feel free to ask me anything you want. It doesn't even have to be science or tech related, even though sovereign tech is a science and tech show, of course, with that beautiful anarchist flavor. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people had questions. We talked quite a bit. And of course, I always get questions about this. I always get, you know, people have their thoughts on it. And I appreciate their intellectual rigor. I really do. Uh, you know, about cars, because last week we talked about cars a little bit, talked about the electric car. And oh, man, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into much of it this week because I'll save it for next week. MIT came out with a story that said we have to program cars to kill. And I was told I was full of shit for saying companies were going to do that. And I said that a long time ago. (laughs) That was beautiful. Tesla. Oh, everybody's like, oh, Tesla's the safest car on the road. And then Consumer Reports completely does does almost a near total turnaround on the reports of Tesla cars saying, actually, they've got a lot of problems. And there's tons of Tesla fail videos for their new auto drive feature and all this shit. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> so I will talk about that, you know, in the, in the coming weeks. It won't be next week. Next week we have the Halloween special or the Halloween episode. Um, but though, but all that's coming. Um, but some people said, you know, a lot of people were asking the question, Hey, you know, Brian, what the hell, what is your problem with, you know, with, with modern cars? And it's like, you know, it goes much deeper than even just the computer. I don't like the way that they're produced. I mean, there's a whole slew of problems with modern cars. Um, I mean, you know, your, your car, the modern car that you drive, I mean, it's pretty much held together by glue. And I know you could say that good chunks of the space shuttles held together by glue, too, and it does just fine. Yeah, I get that. But I don't. 
come on. <laughs> There's no need for, for glue to be being used. Cars used to be put together, you know, good old fashioned nut and bolt and the things lasted forever. Uh, and also glue, you know, oxidizes, particularly in this environment. And I mean, these things are, are, in my opinion, modern cars are just designed to fall apart eventually. I mean, they, they, they really are. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not on board with that. I think that the whole, you know, computers and cars, I've said this before on Sovereign Tech, it is, a, it is engineering laziness to solve all of these little issues within the computer. And it's not just engineering laziness, but now it's to the point where it's engineering fraud when you consider what Volkswagen did. And of course, like I said, Volkswagen's probably, I guarantee you, they're not the only company that's done this. Okay. Uh, with Tesla's, you know, putting in the software and all this stuff, folks, look, I mean, the questions were endless. And I'm just trying to give you a quick recap of what some of my major issues. You know, Tesla runs off of over the air updates and all that stuff. And I think that that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, it's still software. And show me the piece of software that doesn't have bugs. All software is buggy. And it's not like it's a computer where if, if a computer has a bug, oh, shit, I get a blue screen of death and maybe I lose some work or something. Oh, dear. You know, but if a car has a bug, there's really good potential for me to lose my life. <laughs> really? And, and I don't and, and they're not touting these safeguards enough, um, they're, you know, as, as far as what happens, like if a bug gets detected, you know, does it instantly turn on the brakes and all this stuff? I mean, even airplanes have addressed some of these some of these issues, uh, you know, to where, where there's some degree of backups with all this stuff. But that's the thing is that, I mean, that's like QMX, you know, this is software that's been developed for a very long time as to where a lot of it with these cars. This is software that is very new. And is not tried and tested. And, and anybody in hacker spaces and other areas will tell you, you want to use tried and true code. There's no tried and true code here to be had. Uh, so all these things add up to where I, yeah, I have very serious issues with modern cars. I'm not saying it's unethical for you to drive a new car. Okay. I've driven new cars. I'm just saying what I like, what I want out of something that costs me, say, 20K. I want to have, you know, I want my investment to pay off when you lay down that amount of money. You know, if a computer that costs 400 bucks shits on me, I don't. OK, fine. It's 400 bucks. But when you're talking, you know, when you get into four or five digits. Yeah, you want this thing to fucking last six digits. Anyway, that, that's that's the thing with cars. You know, I did come to the I, I mentioned earlier, Jason Calacanis was on this week in tech and he was making some comments uh, and and there he made an, an interesting point that he thinks that the Google driverless car is actually all about. The, the main point of it is all about getting you your, your uh, you know, windscreen windshield on your car to just turn into a giant screen for YouTube. <laughs> Boy, if that's not something coming, you know, and to either show you ads or for you to be willing to shell out, you know, the ten dollars a month with YouTube red uh, to not see those ads on your drive. But I thought that was spot on is they want to turn the windshield into the largest, you know, largest and, and most used screen in your life. And maybe that's the future. For things, it was, it was a really interesting uh, uh, point to bring up. I, I I thought that was fascinating. So, anyway, uh, let's see what other questions I have. Uh, I have time to get in here uh, too. Okay, here we go. Here's a question about black hat hackers. As I say on the uh, the segment of the show, of course, hack sec or what used to be hacker stories. This person was actually listening to some of the older episodes of Sovereign Tech, and whoo boy. <laughs> you're in for a trip if you listen to some of the really old ones. But, uh, but I mean, all these shows I think are pretty evergreen, so you can definitely go back in the catalog. Uh, if you want more sovereign tech, there's always, you know, various things getting talked about. Uh, and I try not to recover territory unless something really drastic has changed. 
Uh, so it's worth doing. But anyway, they asked about Black Hat hackers, how I've called them heroes. Well, this kind of goes back to what, like, like we were talking about earlier with the, uh, the blockchain empire, uh, blockchain alliance, that, you know, who defines what's malicious? Like Black Hat hackers are largely called that because maybe they do something against the state. Okay, well, I don't think that's malicious. <laughs> right? I don't think that's a bad or that's a crime or a bad thing. And so that's what I mean, is that it all comes down to like, that's why I use the term cracker. Or maybe I'll even say malicious hacker or bad actor. That's when I use those terms, that's when I'm saying that this is somebody that's like really doing some some genuinely like perhaps, quote unquote, evil shit. OK, uh, but the term hacker, even people that fall under blackhead, a lot of them are real heroes like they really are uh, like people that recorded that that rape case in Stuben. Uh, Steubenville, you know, was it Idaho or Ohio, whatever, where that woman was, uh, that the young girl was getting raped and they, you know, they, they hacked into a server, got the video, yada, yada. And then they showed it off and the court didn't give a shit either anyway. But I still think what that hacker did was, uh, um, you know, was a heroic thing, but by legal definition, that was a black hat hacker. So it all comes down to, you know, who's controlling the narrative. And so I think the term black hat hacker is a misnomer. It, in fact, most people that are black hat hackers are genuinely doing heroic things under, you know, the auspices of anarchy. So that that's why I say that, even though if you go to Wikipedia and you look it up, I mean, it, it becomes that issue. So but uh, but this has been this is an old argument because lots of people have said, no, we need to use the term, you know, crackers or whatever, at least within the community. Uh, the You know, the mainstream media and the legal system is, is just never going to. You know, they're never going to get on board with that. And that word has its own problems, too. I'm, I'm totally, <laughs> totally aware of that. Uh, so I hope that answers uh, that question. Somebody asked a question and I get this asked a lot. Are there any new technologies you like? Look, there's there's tons of them. And and everybody always says, you know, thank you for loving the show. I'm just I'm trying to get through these questions as quickly as I can. Uh, there's tons of technologies I love that are out there right now. I really still do love Bitcoin. Uh, I love cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, I do. I love virtual reality. Augmented reality, I think, is interesting, but I love virtual reality. In fact, I'm giving a talk about that at Bitcoin Investor. It's called Life 4.0. Woo. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's there's all. There's tons of technologies that are coming out right now that I think are great. Um, like I said, in principle, I'm not even that opposed to YouTube Red. I mean, there's there's a lot in principle. Uh, in there's there's lots of these, you know, in, in in implementation, I should say, not necessarily in who it's coming from. Um, there's lots of things that I that I think are wonderful that are being developed right now. Now, uh, someone else had sent in an email. They actually they had heard my appearance, mine and the lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy's appearance on the School Sucks podcast, which was a dream come true for me. And I mean that literally. Uh, it was on the Conspirathon. It was like a three-parter, I think. And I had said that I thought it was worthwhile and that it was possible to prove that all religions came from one singular religion in the past. And the person said, could you please elaborate more on how exactly you you, you think we can prove that? They didn't seem to think that you could. And uh, and they said not based upon the fact that they all believe in some kind of, you know, supernatural being or something like that. And, yeah, it wouldn't be based on that. And in fact, actually, I'm not I'm not the first person to think that it all came from one place, nor is any atheist the first person to think that it all came from from once, you know, that there was one original religion. Uh, in fact, St. Augustine of Catholicism, of Christianity, he is the one that originally said, and a lot of the church fathers, you know, in, in Christianity were the ones that originally said, yes, there was a Prisca Theologia. There was a prime religion, an original religion that everything stemmed from. And how do we find out about that? A lot of that comes from the comparing of various symbology, I think, is one way 
uh, to go about that. Um, I think that there are a lot of artifacts that have yet to be yet to be found. You know, uh, just recently they found 20 new lines of the Epic of Gilgamesh in, uh, you know, a newly acquired tablet at uh, I think it was a museum in Britain. Um, so there's lots of discoveries still to be made. There's a lot of things to kind of put together that if you, we look at now, especially as atheists like myself, we can find out where this core of this religion thing came from. In January 1982, the Commodore 64 personal computer was introduced with a 64K built-in memory for under $600. So to stay even with Commodore in memory and price, IBM will have to slash its price, quadruple its memory. Apple will also be faced with a sizable chore, and so will Atari. As Shearson American Express put it, the Commodore 64 could be the microcomputer industry's outstanding new product introduction since the birth of the industry. Jane and Natalia, come on! They're right behind us. They can't just jump off this building. No, but with a little help I called on. Hello, Agent Sovereign. The jetpacks you requested? Right on time, Elizabeth. I am not flying with one of those. I'll hold you, Jane. Relax. Tech is just a tool. It is time for Tool of the Week, where I will cover a product, a piece of software, uh, hardware, whatever, whatever the case may be. And I'll either, you know, let you know if it's good or bad or something you should check out. Might even be a website. Who knows? Uh, And in this case, actually, it will be a website and it's a good one. Um, And you might have recently started hearing ads for it on Sovereign Tech. But in case you haven't heard the ad, which I don't know how that happened, but in case you didn't, I want you to know about this. LibertyMemes.com. Okay, that's that's the website. It's run by a very principled guy. It's it's this is, you know, for voluntarists. Okay, this is the real deal. And you can check out the site. They make great memes and everybody loves. I mean, you know, I don't always share memes all the time, but I certainly see in my Facebook and Twitter feed and all that. I see people sharing memes like endlessly. And usually they're not even that good. (laughs) So. So if you want to get some good ones, you know, here's a website that kind of puts them all together and maybe you can even get involved with the website and, you know, and, and forward some, uh, some memes there. But I, I think it's really cool. Uh, I dig this, the, these kind of resources where, you know, you have popular concepts like, you know, little picture memes and all that that get shared on, on social media. If there's like a one-stop shop where, yeah, you know, I feel like sharing some kind of, because I certainly do that. Like I look for quotes. I love sharing quotes and I'll go, you know, I'll go to brainy quote and put in my, you know, favorite author or whatever. And I will share something, you know, from Asimov or, uh, you know, I don't know, take the pick, uh, you know, Heinlein, whatever I'll share from them and I'll share it on social media. I do that all the time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for, for a lot of reasons. And so if there's like that one-stop shop for, you know, fully anarchist, you know, or voluntarist, uh, memes, well then, Hey, that's fucking great. Why wouldn't you use that? Why wouldn't you go check that out? Uh, so libertymemes.com is one of those sites that you can check out and do that. Like I said, I'm just doing a quick one. I, I really compressed a lot of the segments in this episode. Uh, so that's why I'm just doing a, you know, a quick rundown for, uh, for tool of the week. Uh, but this is definitely a tool. This is something that can be used by people to spread some funny shit with some really cool ideas behind it, you know, with some really solid ideas, uh, behind the humor 
you know, and, and I mean, and there, there's some, there's some golden uh, memes on there. There, there really are. So if you hadn't, you know, if by chance you hadn't heard the ad, please do check out libertymemes.com. Okay. It is certainly a tool of the week. It is the thing to use uh, for, for all kinds of shit. I, I love it. So check it out. Anyway, I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons lost. Get us out of here. Return fire. Well, freeze Watch Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. This is James Smith, formerly of WASP News, now an anarchist. And I want to introduce you to Brian Sovereign, former agent of... I have little time. You need to know what's going on. The government is lying to you. Corporations are lying to you. Even is lying to you. They're trying to centralize everything. Trust yourselves. Your computer is your only country. Coexist and learn all that you can. Hack the planet! Hack that. Hack the planet! Woo! Hack that planet, baby! Woo! <laughs> Well, this week for HackSec, which is normally where I talk about, you know, issues of hackers and security and all of that. And of course, as I said earlier, hackers certainly are heroes on this show. We love all of you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I'm kind of definitely dealing more on the security and dealing more on the uh, perhaps what one could call the business end. And I don't mean as in corporations. Um, I am going to talk about I didn't want this to be kind of the lead in story, but I got a lot of requests to talk about this issue. And so in some ways, this is a security issue and it has to do with guns. Um, and so you might not think it exactly fits in here, but this is where where I'm putting it. And this is the thing I'll tell you right out of the gate before I even read the story that I want to read. I get more heat. I lose more listeners for this topic Maybe than any other topic, uh, unless I talk about families, which that's another, you don't want me to go there either. And so, you know, often I don't bring it up. And for a while, I, I think it was between episodes 50 and 100, maybe it seemed to come up a lot. Uh, and I don't exactly recall why, but people would keep asking me, you know, to, to talk about it. And, and I would. Um and I'm not a fan of guns. People, I mean, a lot of people that know me know that. A lot of listeners of the show already know that. That does not mean that I want to ban guns. That does not mean I, that, you know, that I'm against you owning one. That does not mean anything of the sort. Okay, but I do not like guns. Uh, I recognize guns' purposes in hunting and things like that. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't dig it. And I'll talk about it here more. I want to read this story um, but I think I think this is important to discuss and people wanted me to to discuss it. But let me be clear just one more time. I do not want to ban guns. I think gun, it's a property rights issue. That's all it is. 
Okay, and you have the right to own property, thus you have the right to own a gun. But let's read this story, and then I want to comment on it. And this is from a guy I have a lot of respect for, uh, Sheldon Richmond. I'm a huge fan. Uh, and it's this is off of Liberty.me, which, of course, is run by Jeffrey Tucker. He has a lot of really high-end uh, bloggers on there. Sheldon Richmond is certainly a high-end author and blogger. Uh, so, you know, kudos for, for hosting this there. Um, but let, let's read it. Realism and utopianism in the gun debate. And this story is from October 8th, 2015. After an atrocity like the shootings at Mpukwa, I, I, maybe I didn't pronounce that right, Community College in Roseburg, Oregon, what's needed is hard-headed realism, not pie-in-the-sky utopianism. Unfortunately, we always get more of the latter than the former. And stallion breaking, and this is what brought this on, is that, you know, there was the, the recent shootings, and so people wanted me to kind of talk about this whole thing. How do you feel about this? Like, so, some people were kind about it, other people were kind of in, in my face, like saying, see, if they just had guns, none of this would have happened, yada, yada, yada. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, reading on. That a person could walk into a room full of innocent people, open fire, and kill in cold blood is beyond almost anyone's imagination. We naturally wonder what, quote-unquote, causes someone to do that and what could prevent it. But the search for solutions soon reaches a fork in the road. One branch represents logical thinking, the other more wi mere wishful thinking, with no rational connection to the problem at hand. When realists point out that human action has reasons, complex motivations, not causes, uh, that an open society could never guarantee that mass shootings w won't occur, and that the best we can do is allow people to take responsibility for their own self-defense, the utopians stamp their feet, demanding ill-defined direct action. Con gun control advocate Rosie O'Donnell was once asked whether the freedom to carry concealed handguns might mitigate mass shootings. She responded, quote, I don't want to arm anyone. I want to take the guns away away from the bad guys, end quote. So would we all. But most innocent people wait until O'Donnell's wishes, but are, but must innocent people wait until O'Donnell's wish, wish comes true? What should they do in the meantime? Here's what utopians ignore. A society in which bad people cannot obtain guns is not on the menu. It would be nice if that alternative were open to us, but it is not and it never will be. So like it or not, we must choose among the available alternatives. What's the point in demanding the impossible? As, uh, as economist Thomas Sowell once said, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. You need to make sure that a purported solution isn't worse than the problem. Mature thinking recognizes that this maxim applies to the problem of mass shootings. Utopians believe, for example, that expanded, quote-unquote, universal background checks would prevent mass shootings. Never mind that nearly all the recent shooters passed background checks, including the killer in Oregon. Now, Stallion breaking in here quick. I'm amazed that things like Factum and some other blockchain technologies have not been asked to be used for some kind of gun registration or something along those lines. Uh, and I think that all of those systems in and of themselves would actually allow for a very hardy database that would allow for these background checks and would actually bolster. This is my problem with ID and reputation systems is it bolsters the ability of people's control. Uh, you know, it doesn't, you, you would think, okay, that they would help people keep a hold of their property, right? Through smart contracts or whatever else, or, uh, you know, titles that get put onto the blockchain. But actually, if the property that you have, like, say, guns, becomes illegal, then it becomes actually the easy way for you to lose your property, not for you to keep it. Let's read on. That's just the beginning of the problems with this alleged solution. Exactly, it's a problem. 
Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook shooter, took guns from his mother who owned them legally. How would expanded background checks have prevented that horrific crime? Should background checks include gun uh, buyers' children? We certainly cannot expect background checks to keep guns out of the hands of people who buy them in the black market or who steal them or print them on a 3D printer. A law requiring background checks for, uh, for private sales at gun shows would only drive the targeted sales to other, less visible venues. People who want guns for immoral purposes will get them. In other words, there's no such thing as universal background checks. To suggest otherwise is to create a false sense of security, which is worse than no sense of security at all. President Obama's favorite quote-unquote common-sense gun safety law would have made no difference in the recent cases. So why do utopians trot out the, the pseudo-solution each time? And why do they intimate that opponents know it would work but oppose it anyway? Utopians apparently find it impossible to presume good faith in those with whom they disagree. Too bad, for it makes rational conversation impossible. Similar criticisms can be leveled at other utopian proposals, such as liability for dealers who sell guns to people who later commit crimes. Even if this measure were to scare all legitimate gun dealers out of business, which may be the intent, it would not stop mass murder. With at least 300 million guns in the United States, there will be no shortage in illegal channels where anonymous sellers who already break the law will not be concerned about being sued. While the realist proposal to allow well-intentioned people to carry concealed handguns to class, church, theater, and workplace would hardly prevent or limit all mass shootings, it undoubtedly would help. Utopians object that an armed defender might accidentally shoot an innocent person. That's obviously true. But that possibility has to be contrasted with the certainty of what will happen when the person bent on mass murder is the only one with a gun. Utopia is not an option. Now, <laughs> as much as I respect Sheldon Richmond, uh, to some degree, I think that this, this is a very basic uh, argument to be had here. Um, I totally agree with him that legislating, banning, you know, doing anything against that, all that stuff with guns is just stupid. OK, it is antithetical to the issue. But what but this is but Sheldon Richmond's article is really it highlights kind of the problem with the, I guess you could say the libertarian or perhaps the anarchist argument is that it's not addressing. He's talking about, we got to address the cause. We got to address this. Well, no one's addressing the causes. No one's addressing the reasons. No one's addressing, you know, where does all this even come from? And that's what I like to bring forward. When I talk about guns, I am 100% on board with self-defense. I have no issue with self-defense. Please defend yourself. Okay, and I could recommend to you things to do to defend yourself. I wouldn't recommend a gun. Self-defense takes time in any way, shape or form. That's what the gun debate's all about. This is this is all about. It's really not about guns. Like I said, guns is a property rights issue. That's all that is. Fuck it. If it's guns, it doesn't matter. Okay. It's just it's just property rights and you have the you have the right to own property. Even though I don't like the word rights. Self-defense is what this is all about. Can you defend yourself? Yes. Is the gun, this is my question, is the gun the most efficient way to defend yourself? I would argue in the conventional sense and for most people, no. Because when you start looking at some statistics for how many people go through training courses for guns and take the proper amount of time to learn how to use point and shoot a weapon that is designed to take human life. And I don't think that the psychology of that fact should be swept under the rug. 
that you would be seeing people or you would be, you know, kind of like uh, subconsciously aware that there are a lot of people walking around you that have a weapon that could instantly take your life and is designed for nothing more than that. Because we're not talking about rifles here. You know, we're not talking. No one no one gets into the big tussy about, you know, about rifles or whatever. But let's be clear. You don't need an AR-15 to go grab some deer. But again, if you look into the statistics of how many people go through the amount of training that I think people need to go through when you're handling something with that kind of power, uh, it's it gets a little creepy. And I am worried that a lot of people would accidentally shoot. I think that that number goes up exponentially. Now, there are plenty of defensive ways. And I mean, even if and that goes for the criminals, too, like somehow I doubt even the criminals get a whole lot of training in the matter. And that works in your favor. That works very much in your favor. And folks, look, look, I was in the U.S. military. I've been on the front lines. You think I'm you think I haven't? I mean, yes, I'm opposed to the taking of human life, but you think I haven't done it? Don't give me that fucking argument. I've talked about that way too many times and I'm done with it. And if you did it, too, you'd probably never fire a shot. It's, it's a horrendous feeling. But anyway, the amount of time it takes, the amount of training I know I had to go through to be able to fire a weapon properly. I mean, that takes a long, long, really long time, like, or at least it should take a really long time. In fact, I get worried about the amount of people who, you know, who go through basic and they just barely pass on the range. Uh, it, it's, it's a little, little scary. But I don't think the gun's the most efficient thing. And in fact, it's within the same amount of time that you could go through a proper training course for handling guns. You could go through uh, learning Krav Maga. You could go through learning uh, Aikido. All kinds of, you know, martial arts that are designed, especially Krav, that are designed specifically for the modern world. It's designed specifically to unarm another human being that's holding a gun. I'm not saying go do Taekwondo and all that shit. Look, it wasn't made for this world today. But there are there are genuine self-defense techniques, things that you can learn that can actually get you out of situations, make you confident in situations. And you'll have that confidence that doesn't come with you holding a gun, because if your entire basis of self-defense is based around a gun, look, the, the, the places where you can carry a gun is getting smaller and smaller all the time in this world. And there's things you can carry, you know, a flashlight. I mean, statistically, if we're talking about statistics, you know, uh, a flashlight is one of the most incredibly defensive weapons you could possibly have. You could blind the guy, you could jab him in the eye, whatever, with it. And they make them that way. You know, these tactical flashlights, uh, there's tactical pens, all of which I've recommended in the past on Sovereign Tech. There are alternatives to guns, and I recommend going through them. No, I don't think it's okay to take a human life. That's my own feelings on it. I know other people feel differently and they bring up. It's so funny because I'm not bringing up the absurd examples. It's the people who say, oh, no, everybody you need is going to be carrying a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're the ones that bring up the absurd examples saying, it's like, well, what if your wife is getting raped? What if this? It's like, and when do these things happen so often that everybody should start carrying a gun? And then maybe people bring up, oh, well, what if, what if we need to do an armed revolution? Folks. You're not going to win against the U.S. Army. Not with, you know, not, certainly not in the U.S. You're not. I mean, you could say, well, the Afghans get away with it. Well, they have all these caves and all this shit. That, that's not something that's very, you know, very big and hot and happening in the United States. And I don't agree with that anyway. Like I said, I don't agree with taking human life ever. That's me. 
You don't have to feel that way. That's the way I feel. But I think it's a great attitude to go through. There are always alternatives, in my opinion. If you get training, the same kind of training that you would have to, that I think one should take if they want to, if they want to be ready to take a life, is the same amount of training it would take to learn to never have to, in my opinion. And I know some people are going to say, well, what about John Lott, less guns or, you know, more guns, less crime and all that shit. Oh, man, I put a link in the show notes. You can check that out. This guy, you know, John Lott, his arguments are fatally flawed. First off, they're he's totally basing it upon the fact that by gun sales. But that's not accounting for the fact that it's not that more people have guns. It's that the same people have bought more guns. And like the same people now own 12 guns instead of just one. That's that's all these statistics. They're, they're all crap. That this whole more guns, less crime thing. And John Lott himself. I mean, this is a really specious character. He's created online personas to try and bolster his work. He's done fake, uh, 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 you know, fake studies. I mean, like it's a sham. Don't run to that. If you know, when these gun arguments, when these shootings happen, all this stuff, please libertarians and anarchists don't run to his work don't run to this whole more guns less crime thing it's not real it's not true there's no statistics that actually back that up and anything that did it was from 1995 and folks if you think 1995 and 2015 are the same planet whoo are you kidding yes you can argue for self-defense but make sure that's what you're talking about and again i'm not saying you can't own guns i'm just saying consider maybe they are not the most efficient means of self-defense consider that i think if you look at the at the actual information give it a good hard look you might find out they suck it is the year 91001 bce witness humanity's origins in hypercronius a classic role-playing game for windows pcs with a story like no other game before the liberty-oriented experience that is not to be missed. Go to zog.ninja to get your copy of Hypercronius today. Use the code SVT to get $1 off. Hypercronius. zog.ninja. Code SVT. Agent Sovereign. Skylab C is in a polar orbit of the Earth. Computer, it's not agent anymore. We don't work for them. Natalia, Elizabeth, Jane, and I anyone else that wants to join us we're rogue now we have to put an end to domination sovereign come join us yeah join us don't be a wanker <laughs> well there's no reason not to have fun in the process i'm coming ladies The climax. Ooh, okay, I have done enough screaming this episode, and we've only got another minute left or so. I kind of changed things around. Uh, I just want to let you know next week, episode 149 will be the Halloween episode. I've been promising it. You heard a few episodes ago, I did that, uh, the ending where there, you know, you ran into Brian Soviet. Oh boy, and, and people. <laughs> People got got they're wondering what the hell all that's about. Uh, so next week is going to be a very special episode uh, and uh, it'll be the regular episode. And then, of course, we have episode 150. I wanted to make sure all the intros got played on this episode because this is the very last time you'll hear uh, all of them uh, on Sovereign Tech because we'll be doing new intros 
coming episode 150. And oh, I've got quite a surprise for those. It's going to be a good time. Uh, so anyway, next week is going to be a really fun episode. Uh, <laughs> I, I, feel free, you know, if, if you didn't like it, or if you end up not liking it or you love it, you know, you can uh, you can just just let me know. On that, you can email me, Brian is OmiOfflineGames.com, or of course, you know, just go to SovereignTech.com and go to the uh, the contact us uh, page. So anyway, that that's it. I, I not a, usually I talk about you know I'll use uh, I'll use this to talk about whatever I want to talk about, like a movie or something. But uh, this week I just cut it totally short so we could get the rest of that information out uh, to you. So anyway, if you appreciate what I do on Sovereign Tech, please don't hesitate to donate. Just go to SovereignTech.com. There's a support us tab, and you can do it. Woo! Carpe Lucan, everybody! <laughs> I'll see you on the other side. And hey, maybe I'll see you in Vegas. Remember that deal I gave at the beginning of the episode, or maybe I'll see you at Keenvention. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.